right, and welcome to Two Discount Grocers in a Microphone. I'm Mike, and I've got Dylan here. How's it going? Excellent. How are you doing, sir? Doing well, doing well. Didn't we just do this last week, I believe? We did, yes. So normally, uh, you know, we're trying to do these things every two weeks, but this is a one-week turnaround from episode two to three. Um, we wanted to kind of get back on track. We had a little bit of a, a long break from the first to the second episode due to operator meeting and sickness and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're back on track now. Right. So today we're going to be talking to Charles and Raj from Vallejo. Uh, we said we wanted to get a California store because uh, they operate uh, a little differently, um, yet it's still the same company. So uh, excited to talk with them because if you don't know Raj and Charles, a uh, very, very fun couple, uh, a lot of high energy, um, definitely just uh, people you kind of want to be around. So excited to talk with them and and get their view of a couple things. Uh, I think kind of on the agenda, we're talking a little bit about work-life balance and taking over an existing store and, you know, probably uh, a dozen other things that aren't even on the agenda. So should be fun. And, and yeah, you know, originally we kind of talked about, uh, and we'll talk to many California stores, certainly, but uh, we talked about getting California store in there and, and talking about what's different. And uh, we didn't talk about that at all in this podcast. We did not. No, no. <laughs> so. But are you really surprised that we had a plan to talk about something and we go a different direction? No, no, not at nope. all. Not at Me all. Neither. But no, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed talking to him. I, uh, yeah, I kind of talked to him for the first time really at the operator meeting, though, uh, I felt like I knew him a little bit better just because, uh, you know, they, they come up on my Facebook quite often. Uh, they're pretty active, active members of the, uh, operator community. So, uh, I felt, uh, it was, it was an easy conversation to have. They're easy people to talk with for sure. Right. All right. So with that, I think we should dial in and go from there. All right. Well, I give you uh, Charles and Raj. All right. So we're here with uh, Charles and Rajnik uh, and they are the operators of the Vallejo store. Um, so Charles, Raj, it's great to talk to you. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you came to Grocery Outlet, how many stores you've had, that kind of thing. Okay, um, Charles and Rajanik, um, you know, we've been married going on 13 years. We have four kids. Um, this is actually our second store. Our first store we opened was Long Beach Wardlow. And now this is our second store, which was also our training store, which is kind of unique. A lot of people don't actually get the store they trained in, but we're back and we got our training store. All right, Raj, what do you, what do you <laughs> got to add to that? Anything? Um, no, not not really. Um, he said the gist of it. Um, I will say our path here started with Charles. Um, he's the one that has had the retail background. I actually was a court reporter before we started doing this. So this was my first retail job ever actually. Um, so, but when he came to me and brought this opportunity to me and was like, hey, you know, this is something I'm interested in doing, what do you think? I immediately said, yes, let's do it. Just because, you know, I've watched him come home 
showing me pictures of end caps and you know different displays he's built around this door and i honestly didn't care at all at that time but you know i i saw his passion you know i saw how much he loved what he did and so i was like oh let's do it i already know you're gonna do great let's go so and what did you what did you do before this charles where'd you work um, so my last, I've, I've had a lot of retail, you know, retail is a small world, you know, district manager Lee pulls you and whatnot. But anyway, um, before I came here, I actually was a manager for 99 cent only stores. Oh, we have okay. quite a bit of 99 only people in this company. Now we have some DSMs and a lot of buyers. So even um, some TCs and transitional coaches. So, I mean, you know, very similar um, company in the way they operate as far as um, opportunistic buying. So the transition over, I, I felt like I left work to work. So pretty similar. So I'm curious for Raj. So obviously retail, uh, it's very similar for you. Tell me about your first month. You left core reporting, which is completely opposite of what we do and what retail is. Uh, I'm just curious on day 30 after you jump ship to do this. Uh, tell me about that little mindset you were in. Well, I mean, um, it wasn't cut and dry, honestly. So when we first started training, you know, I trained part time. My our initial setup was me going to be a support for him, um, and just through the training process, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of having fun here. I'm liking this. So, you know, court reporting is kind of solitary. You go to work, you meet different people all the time. Come home, I need every any quiet, I need everybody away from me. Don't talk to me, kids. Charles, leave me alone. But here. I was able to bring the kids in, you know, I was able to partner and do with Charles, which honestly, I didn't know how that was going to go <laughs> until we started doing it, but it actually was really good. And so um, I realized that I was liking it. And so uh, we once we made the decision for me to go ahead and be 50-50, I kind of reduced, I just reduced what I did because court reporting, I did freelance. So I didn't have like a nine to five. It was based on me giving time that I'm okay to go. I can do this, this day. And I just cut it back. I just like, okay, I'll just do one day, you know, I'll do, you know, once a week. And so it kind of gradually um, fizzled out. But um, the great thing for me was I don't have daily deadlines anymore. Court reporting is very daily deadliney. You know, I have a job one day, due 10 days later, but I have jobs every day. So there's <laughs> deadlines every day. Um, so that was also um, just a great relief. And I really, I mean, I really like the transition because I'm around more people. I like people and my family. So it was good. Now, let me tell you about day one. I remember <laughs> our, our first day All in right. the store, right? So we go in, of course, you do your paperwork. And of course, you know, back then the AOT programs changed a little bit. You know, they basically put you on a register day one. So we go out to do the register. I think like five minutes in, she's looking at me all confused because I go right to working. I get on the register, I jump off the register, I start filling impulse, I'm doing end caps, I'm doing displays. I just did what was natural. And she's just looking at me like, how do you know what to do? And she was just seeing her face. I'm like, I've been doing retail for 30 years almost now. So for me, I just went right to work. Uh, just whatever needed to be done around the store. I'm over there talking to the frozen guy. You need help, I'm on. I, I wanted to stay busy. And she was just kind of looking at me like, what do I do next? I'm like, some go-backs? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that was fun that first day. So, so Charles, for you, uh, how how different is Grocery Outlet now that you've been doing it for a while? How long have you guys been operators now? Four years, you said? Yeah, four years. Four years? Okay. Yeah. So now you guys have been doing it for four years. How different is it versus what you anticipated it being? 
you know, I, I don't think it's much different than what I anticipated. Because one, I had, you know, my best friend came before me. So, he, you know, he was already into the program. So I kind of knew what I was getting into when I came over. Um, for me, the ownership piece, it, it really, it, okay, I, I feel like I did uh, a lot of research before I came over. And I feel a lot of people don't. So I, I kind of knew what I was getting into. I spoke to plenty of operators. Um, I had a relationship with people already in the company. So for me, it kind of met my expectations. You know, I, I this is what I expected it to be. And how about for you, Raj, not being in the business? Is it kind of, is it what you anticipated it was going to be when Charles was first talking to you about it? Um, I don't know if I really had an expectation. Um, and then my expectations started to form, you know, throughout training and really just watching our training store operators, Amy and um, Scott how they ran the business and, you know, I watched what their daily lives were like and I kind of just started to form my expectation based on what I was seeing. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, watching them and being hands-on there with them, we were there for a year, almost oh, a year. Yeah. Almost yeah, almost a year. year. Um, so yeah, I feel like I, it is what I expect it to be, but it's only because it's based on what it is we are doing and watching them do what they did, you know? Right. Yeah. Things are definitely a little bit different. Uh, uh, now it's like six months if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we assessed, we assessed early, we like assessed month four early. or five, we were done. But, you know, they used to make a joke that we've uh, applied for the most stores. <laughs> How many did you apply we, for? I think we might have applied seven for or seven eight stores. Wow. When we first, because you know, it's so crazy because every location had a reason why we would be a good fit. Like we even applied for Carson city because my best friend was the store manager of the Trader Joe's in that city. And so I'm like, you know, she's like, yeah, come on down. You know, obviously she's giving me insight about stuff, you know, and I'm like, this will be a great fit. My friend's there. I get all the inside, you know, I like snow. <laughs> okay. Like it just, there was always a reason. So anyways, yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, how kind of you expected it to be what it is uh, when we went into the program. You know, we also knew a bunch of people that were already doing this. Uh, and we talked to so many operators. I think they said talk to, you know, four or five different operators. We probably talked to 20 different operators and every operator said the same thing. They're like, I wish we would have done this sooner. This is, you know, the, the best experience we've ever had. This is retail, but it's, it's different because this is your retail. And we kept hearing this almost Cinderella story and we kept on saying, there's just no way it could be like this. Um, it's almost like they felt like they were uh, being told what to say, but we chose all random people and then we got in and, and it was so uh, exactly how people explain, you know, as far as, you know, we also said the same thing. We wish we would have done this sooner. Uh, this is so refreshing to have retail on our own terms and do it uh, how it needs to be done versus how corporate says it should be done. And then when we talk to other uh, pre-AOTs or other people coming in, they say the same thing. They're like, this just sounds too good to be true. And it's like, well, you know, it really can be. It, it's a lot of work for sure. Um, it, but it, it, it's pretty transparent when you talk to people on what the possibilities are. Now there are hard days and hard times and, and things that come up, but definitely uh, it is how people describe it um, when you do your part as well. Um, it's nice when you kind of have the mix of a 
retail person and a non-retail person because you have two different sides because I've seen it also where two non-retail people come in and they're like, this is not what we thought owning a business was like. We were thinking we were just going to put on fancy shirts and sit at a desk and make some choices <laughs> and leave. And, and this job is anything but that. Uh, but when you come from a retail side, you understand that uh, if you do the work, uh, you can and will be rewarded. So it's nice to hear other people with that same kind of experience and expectation where it comes out to more of a reality versus, yeah. Hey, they said it was going to be like this and this was completely different. So, you know, um, a lot of times potential AOTs, I guess, cause we're in a bear, we're kind of near the corporate office. So we get a lot of people who are trying to get into the program that will reach out to us. And so, you know, I like to talk to these people, but I also like to give them the information they don't know what to ask. I find that when people are researching a company and they're going through the early process, it's almost like a business meeting. Like, so what are your numbers and your your average ticket? And I'm trying to teach them more about the culture so they can understand being an owner isn't the same as being a manager. Being a manager is a good big piece of being an owner, but there are so many other things. So I like to fill the gap in for them because I know they're asking questions, but I'm like, you really probably should know this information. You should understand how this works, how your lifestyle works. The one thing I tell everybody that that are that's thinking about applying, I was like, this isn't a job. This is a lifestyle. So it's like having kids. I was like, I'm never off, but I'm happy. I don't, I don't really have off days, but I control when I go in and go out. I was like, I do, I do more outside of the business than I do in the actual four walls. We're part of everything in town. I'm a Rotarian. We part of the chamber. I'm on the board. My wife's an ambassador. There's so much that you do, but it's all business related. So I said, are you ready for the lifestyle of ownership? Not sure. the job, the lifestyle. And that's yeah. the, the so, things I like to inform people. So that's a that's a good topic kind of on, you know, the lifestyle of ownership, right? Versus the job. But so what do you guys do to kind of uh, to get away from your store mentally or to find balance in your life or is there <laughs> well, you, uh, your team, your team makes all the difference. Um, the difference between happy operators and unhappy operators a lot of times is the team that they have run in their store. And now how do you build your team? That's a whole nother topic, you know, getting good systems in place, um, putting the right programs in the right incentives, getting the right people will be the difference between being happy and being unhappy as an operator. For us, we have a good amount of family support. My aunt's my store manager. My mom's their cashiering right now. So we have family support mixed in with um, some some people. We're like the third owner for them. They've been around 12, 13, 14 years. So having those employees that under really understand the business gives you a peace of mind. When we're at the operator meeting, we're not worried about anything happening at our store that can't be handled with our staff. But it all started with our training, our procedures, our standards. So you implement those three things, you have peace of mind when you're not at your store. So Raj, you kind of had a little bit of a, huh, when I asked that, what's your, what's your take on uh, uh, mentally uh, separating yourself from the store? Because I know that can be difficult sometimes. Yes, it can. And um, I, I think that I smirked a little bit because um, a lot of, the stress that can come with this. Honestly, I just let Charles have it. <laughs> you just so, you pack it all up in a nice little box and you say, here, honey, I got this for you. That's for you. This is this all you, you got this. You know, I feel like because we are 
I feel like we are such a great team and he is very strong in what he does. And he knows like stuff that I don't know, obviously, because it's my first retail job. There are things that I just don't understand as well as he does because he comes from this, you know, sector. Um, and I just, well, you know, talk to Charles, <laughs> give it to Charles, you know, so I have a partner that allows me to release a lot of that stress and he's really good at dealing with it. So here we go. That's, that's why I smirked a little bit. Cause I, yeah. Yeah. Charles has got broad shoulders. He's got broad he, shoulders. He can carry the weight. Yep. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to the culture of this and, you know, before they, you know, some people are single operators, some people are, you know, with support, everything else. Um, you know, at first, I think when we were going in, uh, I went in with my, well, now wife, uh, but she was at support. And to me, it was, it was silly at first. Cause I'm like, I've done this for so long. I mean, I, I was a store manager for so long um, and, and I've done this, but I was like, okay, I, we'll do this. Um, I didn't see the importance of it uh, until probably that first month of being in the store. It's like, you got to have someone else to vent to, to help with. I mean, it, it's a big job. Um, you know, you can go into a store and not have anyone, you know, in the beginning and, and you need to be able to have someone to either bounce ideas off of or to uh, release uh, your, your frustrations with, or to just say, you know what, I'm stuck. I just need help or to have that uh, support. And so uh, I think Groeschel, it's, uh, does a really good job with that mental state of saying you're going to need something, you're going to need someone, uh, and it's got to be on the day one. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll find my store manager, I'll find these people. Well, you don't have them in the beginning. And if you open up a store and you're struggling, uh, you need someone to kind of take on some of that because your employees see right through you. Uh, they hear everything you say and everything you don't say, and, and they experience that too. And so if you have the other person where maybe behind closed doors, you can say this, that, the other thing, and then go out and be back to normal, uh, you, your crew is going to be stronger. You'll be stronger. So uh, I understand all too well. You know, my, my wife has uh, dragged me into the office a few times just to kind of completely vent yep. and, you know, say some frustrations or like, this is not going right or this is not going well and all this. We'll talk about it. And then she can come out and, and be back to normal. And I can do the same thing. And, and it's so much better to have that support person versus someone on a sales floor or, or part of your team or someone else. So, yeah. I get that. Well, my wife's worse than the district manager from my past. <laughs> <laughs> like, like she pushes me like, like things that I would probably accept. So here's the reality. <laughs> I managed this same volume before I came to this company. I had 75, 80 employees. I was running a 13% payroll. So when she wants me to get things done, she's like, well, you did it at the other job. And I'm like, I had five people working in produce a day. I didn't really, the, the, the money didn't matter to me because I didn't control the money. I just hit payroll. Wasn't your money. And, and driving <laughs> sales. I said, if I ran a 13% payroll now, our store would be a hundred percent. But I was like, in reality, I'm trying to hit seven, seven and a quarter, seven and a half. I was like, that makes a huge difference. But guess what? She doesn't accept that. I got to find a way to get it done. And that's the beautiful thing about having a DM wife. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Okay, hold on, so, Mike. Mike, I think yeah. you should talk to that. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, my wife's written me up a few times now, um, <laughs> you know, but but I'm working on it. I'm on a uh, I'm on a plan to get back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you mentioned that, and uh, uh, my wife Tanya, she she used to be a retail sales manager for uh, Safeway for many many years, and so she has this other 
uh, escalated idea of what perfection should look like. And, and she wants it to be really, really good, which is great. Uh, but at times, you know, with labor and everything else, you can't be that like that. And, and there are times where she has this idea that she wants a perfect. And I'm like, listen, today it can't be perfect. And she's like, well, it's going to be perfect. And so we kind of have that, that talk about, you know, how, how do we get there? based on what we have for labor because yeah if you want to run a 10 11 12 labor you can have everything you want uh, but sometimes certain things have to give and and it, it's good to have the other side who wants to have that because if you have both sides who are like oh we don't need to do this well then it's never going to get done and so to have that uh, uh dm wife i'm sure she's not going to like that term but i'm probably <laughs> gonna have to adapt to it now um <laughs> I, I think that helps with overall standards every day because it's really easy to get comfortable and it's really easy to look past certain things for too long and you need to have someone kind of more remind you at times say hey listen this could be better or this could be different or we need to adjust something so that it can be better and, and so having that and and mike and i both have uh those uh kind of mindsets uh within our team i'll say so <laughs> you know i will say um because when i first started uh at my first store it was actually my mom and myself because uh, Danny actually, she was a hairstylist. She owned her own salon. She was kind of doing her own thing. But, uh, you know, as far as the whole, like, it's easy to make kind of make excuses for yourselves and so on and so forth. You know, she would come into the store at, and view it as a customer, not as an owner at all. And she would, uh, you know, she would be like, ah, you know, produce was kind of like this or that. And I found myself being like, well, you don't understand because the load was laid or this or that or whatever it was. And then I was, I started thinking about it and I was like, but she's viewing it as a customer and the customers don't care. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't care about why produce is looking, you know, rough or deli or this or that. And so it, it, it was a good reminder. And I kind of keep that with me in that there's a lot of things that we can say, uh, with grocery outlet and the way things work and run that, Oh, this is because of that, or this is because of this. And, but your customers don't care. And you know, it's, it's good. It's a good reminder for myself from time to time for sure. So, um, so that being said though, just to kind of transition into another question that's along these lines. Um, so real quick though, when did you uh, move stores to Vallejo? How long ago was that? In May, it'll be two years that we've taken over the store. So we're going up, coming up on our second year here in Vallejo. Okay, so you were two years at Long Beach Wardlow and now two years at Yeah, at we, we're almost, we're a little shy of two years. So, I mean, that's right around the time, you know, by, by the time you do the convert. So, yeah. So a um, little kind of run up to this. Obviously, when you get into your first, and uh, Long Beach was a new store, correct? When yeah, brand brand new. Okay, so obviously, when you get into you know first store, you got all this adrenaline. You got I'm going to make it this way. I'm going to make it that way. You're just like go 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 go, and I feel like, uh, and everybody's a little bit different, but at about that two year mark, you really kind of you have your staff in place, you got your systems in place, you've kind of ironed out a lot of the issues and problems that you run into. Um, but then, and you can start to relax a little bit more, but then obviously you went into Vallejo and once again, I'm assuming, you know, pedal to the metal, getting everything the way you want it, this, that, and the other thing. So my question though is at what point, if ever, do you take your foot off the gas or ease up? 
Well, really quickly, I just wanted to jump in and say, <clears throat> I don't know if we followed the normal about two years, you know, take your foot off the gas, you're good, because COVID hit three months into us opening our first store. So we went from, what were we doing, 70 or something? Oh, we came out actually something. in the 90s, and then COVID hit, and everything closed around us, and our sales just, like, died. Like, we had a, a restaurant that was in front of us that was 30, been there 35 years shut down. We were but the I mean, only like thing open in our plaza. Like the um, initial jolt, though, was from us having what we had like 13 employees, <laughs> we had like 12 or 13 employees. Yeah. We had the whole store emptied out, obviously. Right. And then we're fighting the battle of the toilet paper and the water where, you know, it was just, uh, you know, people sick. It, it's just it was just a uh, first year owners and you're going through everything they could throw <laughs> at you. You know, Yeah, it was interesting. Um, but I feel like. I mean, I guess it's different because that store was a lot lower volume. And so, again, we we only had like, you know, 13 employees and we did a lot of the work ourselves. And so I don't know if I can consider taking my foot off the gas ever there because I was the produce person. OK, <laughs> so that was right. me. You know, you got to right. go every day. You got to get it done. And we're still being me like it has to. Look, I need the customers to come in and see it fresh. It has to be fresh. OK, so. I don't think I ever took my foot off the gas there. Um, I'll let you transition to how you feel about now where we are. So. Well, I was going to say something too. I remember the day the big COVID hit. We did $72,000 with six employees. We had six employees working that day. And I did 70. I was like, nobody's going home. <laughs> Stay on the register. <laughs> it was the craziest day I ever seen in my life. And it was worse than Grand Open. I've never seen the store so full. And so... As far as taking your foot off the gas, I actually think we're pushing harder on the gas this year. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy. Our first year in Vallejo, so I, I listened to the last podcast. We had a very similar story. They shut down all the overpasses in Vallejo because they had to raise them up eight inches to be compliant with the state. So we had Springs Road, like three shut down. So we had no way to get to our store. So that killed our customer account. That killed everything for us. And so we, our first year was just challenging. We were way down. Imagine going against COVID numbers and now you get everything shut down. It was a tough year. We were spending a lot of money on marketing. We were doing everything we could do just to stay afloat. You know, imagine we take over the store and all the sales just drop. And it's like right when we took over, the bridges closed. So it was a tough first year. So now that we're in the second year, we have a huge bounce back, the bump, the customers are coming back. So we're even more motivated now. So it's not like let's let, let off the gas. We need to see if we can go faster. Let's try to recapture what we lost for about eight or nine months of having um, overpasses closed and you couldn't really get to our store. Our slowest time was five o'clock. That's when everybody got off work and the road in front of our store was the only road to go. It was gridlocked. So guess what? We had no customers during the prime of the day because you couldn't get into our parking lot. And so now when that we're past that, we're just, let's go. We're pushing even harder this year. What, uh, what, did, what kind of uh, sales hit did you take on that? Well, well, we were already dropped. So this store, when during COVID, go ahead. During COVID, this store was averaging around two forty, right? So when it posted, it was two thirty. By the time we got the store three months later, it was at two o five, and then it dropped down into the one eighties. So now we're doing one eighty five. Now this store, you're looking at the sales. We're down like twenty percent because of the freeway being closed. And I, honestly, I was spending. I was sending coupons out like crazy. I, I was doing Val Pack. I did a local thing. We were mailing. 
I'm getting like 1500 redemptions a month. Like I was pushing coupons crazy, but I'm just trying to keep the um, customers coming. I'm looking at Placer AI. Half the town that was red was now no longer coming to us. And so it was a challenge. So it, it, we just did everything we could. We coupon. We still tried to run a good store. I still tried to keep the payroll up. But it's hard for me to complain about doing 185 when some stores were dreaming to get to 185. But for us, we still had to adjust because now the employees had to realize I had to cut hours. I couldn't run the same hours. It wasn't going to be five people doing grocery. Now it's going to be two. And um, I started cross-training employees. And it was a little frustrating for them because they had been there for a while and they were like, I do this. I'm like, now you do all of this, <laughs> you know? So it was a, a mindset change for the employees that we inherited. And it, it was just a lot of us still trying to be in the community and put our faces out there. And so we spent that year really networking, getting to know the city, doing every event we can do. And guess what? When the bridges opened up, the customers came back. They came back. They're still coming back. Our customer count still growing. Um, we're, we're, we, we finished that year off. We finished down like 0.5. But considering we were down 19% for most of the year, those final four months, I almost broke the store back even. You start seeing the store rise. And that was the, the good thing. The only concern I had was I was watching all my neighbors' customer counts start to come back, you know, because it kind of took a dip during COVID. But we didn't have that. Well, our customer count was declining. But we're, we're seeing those rewards now. And we're seeing the rewards of the efforts we put into the community during that time. Now, I feel like everybody knows who we are in town. And we're starting to reap those rewards. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, watching your your neighbors and your other stores, you know, that's one big part of the about this job that's not explained on um, this is not just filling shelves and filling produce and doing this. It's about the uh, friendly competitive nature to not want to be at the bottom it, to always want to be finding that new way to increase customer count basket size to always be up in that upper quartile. Uh, because our, our results are very public uh, to, you know, our, our brothers and sisters and, and they hear what we do and they see what we do. And, and last thing you want to do is have those results, even though there might be a completely valid reason, you know, closing down of, of a shopping center or uh, the roads or whatever. It, you still don't want people to look at it and be like, oh, what are they doing over there? And, and so I, I think there's that drive that we all have to have to make it work you know i i think you know mike you know your question about letting off the gas I, I think if you're okay seeing yourself on the bottom you're probably not going to survive in this business because you always have to be hungry and trying new things or more things or just things in general otherwise you're going to be just uh, a status quo or or less than and and you want to be so driven to where you're not okay with that so like your standards uh, no one's going to really come in and say you have to fix this and do this you have to do that yourself no one's going to say you have to do coupons you have to do ads you have to do events you have to be at this baseball team or basketball team or or whatever you have to want to do that uh because you know and we all know that's what's going to increase our business our store uh, and we want those results and so when you talk to those people that come in it, it's hard to say hey you you have to be on this job 24 7. you're going to think about this when you're eating you're going to think about this when you're sleeping you're always going to come up with these ideas now whether you do them or not that's one thing uh, but you always want to be looking for ways to kind of increase um and if you're again if you're okay being on the bottom you're probably not going to survive because this takes someone to continue to reinvent the wheel and try new wheels and and adapt and do so many other things too and that's hard to explain to new people coming in saying hey this is much more than just just 
owning a store or running a store. This is dealing with everything that you have no idea what's out there. I mean, you, you said you were operators for four years. Uh, talk about probably the hardest four years of being an operator uh, with everything going on of, of realizing that we have no idea what's going to happen each and every year now and, and being prepared for the unexpected. So, yeah. Hey, so real quick, when you guys were experiencing those uh, decreases, uh, what was the, any comments from grocery outlet or were they pretty understanding and left you alone? Um, I don't think there was any aggressive comments. Um, <laughs> there, were, there was some communication about it, but, um, you know, once you have the conversation and we're looking at the big picture together, it's like, okay, you know, I, I understand exactly what's going on. You know, another thing that um, was a factor that Charles didn't mention was at the same time that we got the store was also when all of the prices started catching up. All of the prices started raising. And so a lot of the customers, a lot of the comments that we were getting at the very beginning was, oh, we get new people in here and now y'all raising all the prices? Is this what y'all doing? Like they would literally screenshot prices from the downtown location on price changes that they just haven't completed yet right <laughs> to stuff that's in our store and i'm like uh i, I don't know to tell you we're not it's not us we're not this is just what's happening you know so you know once th once we got through that and people started realizing that it wasn't just specifically our location that was raising prices right because they don't know they only come here um and um us being in the community and uh, the bridges, you know, closing and opening, then we started to, you know, make some progress. But um, I mean, they understood, you know, having that conversation with us, seeing exactly what's going on and they could see what we're doing. You know, we see what you guys are doing, you know, so I understand that it's not that you guys are just, you know, running yeah. up to the ground. Yeah, that was my goal. We got to do everything we said we were going to do in our business plan. Grocery Alley respects that. It wasn't like we weren't marketing. We weren't in the community. I wasn't trying to fill my store up. I wasn't trying to keep the store clean. And it was a learning curve coming from 80,000 to 200,000. There's a learning curve. And so, you know, they were patient with that. But yeah. we also did everything they asked. If they said you need more cards, I'm going to go out and get more cards. I communicated with them and I felt like we had a good relationship. Now, speaking on the customers, it was funny because there was like, I heard somebody say, these people from LA and came up here raising the prices. I had to start speaking Bay Area. I was like, man, I'm hella from the town. What you talking about? Cut. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm from here. Like, I, I grew up. My daughter was born in the city. Like, like, then it got out. I'm like, I'm not no outsider. I, I'm, I'm a local boy. Come oh, support yeah. me. <laughs> you know, but it honestly, just because the, the perception, it was the perception of what we were doing. And it wasn't the reality. Like, I spent a lot of time educating customers. Yeah. I had a lady mm -hmm. call me up there and like, you used to carry 20 salads. You only have four. And, yeah. and I'm out there like, you know, I'm sorry, ma'am. You know, and I, I, one lady said, don't blame COVID. And I'm like, so I explained the whole process to her. Then at the end of the day, I said, ma'am, you think I don't want your money? Why would I not carry a product that you want? Trust me, I get everything I possibly can. I'm sorry this product is available. So we tried to open the communication with customers. If you request something, they email us. I'll let them know if it's available. And, you know, I didn't want them to think that I wasn't trying to order stuff they wanted to buy because I'm the new owner. It's just a lot of things, a lot of things changed during COVID. A lot of staple products. Like we ran out of that wonton soup at one time. Oh my gosh, I heard that left and right. But guess what? <laughs> I got like a pallet of it in the back now. But it's just a matter of educating the customers on how distribution is affected and how it's affected our business since we are opportunistic buying. But I spent a lot of time, I'm going to say, being an ambassador for the brand just to educate customers. And it helped. 
But it, it took a year of that. It took a year of me going out there and having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with customers and letting them know that I want to get your favorite product back in as soon as it's available. I'm sorry the prices rose, but did you see what Safeway selling it for down the street? You know, we, we went up two bucks. They went up 20 bucks. I mean, it's still a better deal. So it was, it was just a matter of sticking to my guns and being that brand ambassador. Yeah, I will say that I'm obviously inflation and all that kind of stuff has really added to this, but I've taken over my two stores have both been existing stores now. And so far at both stores, even though we didn't touch prices, really, that was the, a, a very common critique is, oh, your prices are more expensive now. And I'm like, well, not, not really, but, <laughs> but you know, it's okay. It's all good. <laughs> um, uh, so during that time, by the way, what, what would you say is the most successful thing that you guys did, uh, and then also what did what didn't work out that you tried okay i i'll i'll start it off and <laughs> say my life. I, I think the one thing we successfully did was get the employees to our standards and our ways because imagine they've been working with a different operator for five years and it was just different standards different operating procedures different way things needed to be done with us coming from a lower volume store we had the mentality every employee needs to know everything you know, so my cashier could start off cashiering. The next cashier came, she went and filled the dairy box up. She went on break, came back, worked produce, and wrote the produce order. When you're in a smaller volume store, it's like that. When you get in a higher volume stores, you find a lot of people. If they do grocery, they just do grocery. The deli person just does deli. And so I've had to change their mentality over. And I have a lot more people. A lot of my floor guys now are backup cashiers. And it helps the business the more they know. And I think we've been successful with getting people more cross-trained to make the business more efficient. So if, if two cashiers call in, that's fine. I got two guys on the floor that can come. Or if two floor guys come, the cashiers now can go work wine and do those different things. And I think that's something we've had success at and we continue to grow at. I think the one thing that I'll just say is I'm not even a specific thing, but I will say that I feel like we have successfully been able to learn from any mistakes that we do make. You know, so you sometimes you have to throw things at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and you see steps that you take that, okay, this isn't effective. Okay, we're not going to do that. Let's pivot and, you know, do something else. So effectively being able to, you know, not be afraid to try new things, but also, you know, learn fast enough that this is not what we should be doing. This is not the right direction. We need to go into a different direction and learn from those things. So I was going to say my success was also my failure. Some of that stuff I wish I would have implemented quicker. When you do a changeover, it's kind of like I didn't want to like wrestle things up too much. So I was kind of doing a hybrid of my way and the old way. I shouldn't have did that. I should have just kind of came in. This is the way we're going to do things because I think it caused confusion, a few morale issues. And, you know, some I lost some employees. But then again, in the long term, the new employees came in. They didn't have any. I don't want to say bad habits because I don't think their habits were necessarily bad. It just wasn't the habits that we wanted done. And so I wish I would have implemented things a little faster instead of trying to play that middle ground. Yeah, I, th I think I think it is really important to I mean, obviously, you want to be flexible with your employees whenever you can be. And, you know, that's part of that's part of the gig. But um, when it comes to how the store is going to run, who's going to do what, you know, it, it's got to be your way or the highway to an extent, um, because it just it really doesn't work. And I think you end up doing like you said, your, your employees a little bit more of a disservice, uh, by doing that, because, you know, if you're trying to, you can't, you can't operate successfully under somebody else's system. It just, 
I feel like it just doesn't work. You got to do your system. And so a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I'm fully with you on that. Uh, on the, uh, losing people though, I will say that once again, on the two existing stores I took over that had some longtime employees and all this kind of stuff, uh, we hired a hundred percent of them back. And, uh, I feel like without without fault, you're always going to lose people on a changeover. Yep. No matter what. And as a matter of fact, when Dylan was taking over K Falls, that's what I was, I was like, higher, 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 because you're going to lose people. It's going to happen. So. And it did. You know, uh, Charles, you mentioned uh, basically making a choice faster. You know, that's one thing we try to do. Is I, I think we've learned this with our second store is, you know, we don't have as much time to uh, always run by committee or to really overthink certain things. Sometimes you rip the bandaid off and then you deal with it. And I think our employees respect that. And it shows that we're drawing that line in the sand. We're not saying, oh, well, we hope it gets better or, or whatever. You know, make a choice faster, uh, promote faster, uh, I want to be careful who's listening, but you know, you fire faster as well, because in the end, your people are going to be better off and they're going to be happier. You're going to be happier. Uh, and if you're okay, making mistakes, like you said, uh, make a decision quicker and then adapt to it, own it. Uh, if it's wrong, change it. Uh, there's so often where, you know, I, I have people, they're like, I don't know if this is the right choice. Or I don't know if this is the right idea. It's like, you know what, who cares? Do it, see what happens. And then go from there because I can almost guarantee that even if it's the wrong choice, you're going to get some improvement out of it. And then you adapt or you apologize or you you do whatever. But the longer you take making decisions that should be quicker is time away from you doing what else needs to be done. And in our business, we're never done. It's never over. It's always ongoing. And, and, and so you have to just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to do this and allow your people to also do the same thing. And if they make a mistake so be it. Um, I, I, one thing I'm very aggressive about is ordering. I like to take big chances and I've gotten burned so many times, but I've also had so many wins with that as well. And guess what? If, if I get burned, I deal with it. I own it. Okay. That was a bad idea. That was a bad choice. I should have listened to you when you said to order seven cases and I ordered 4,000, you know, whatever <laughs> it, it happens. Um, and by you, yeah. you mean Tanya, right? DMY. But, but again, I, I own it and, and, listen, maybe we didn't sell all 4,000 of that one item, but I bet we could sell 2,000 and then we'll take a hit and, and do whatever. But I, I made it, I made a choice and I made it quicker. And I want our, our people to realize that most choices they make are, are not going to be the final thing. You know, we can adapt and we can change and our business is so fluid. We can make adjustments on the fly, which we have to and be just fine. And so I like to have that mentality of, of saying, you know what, we can make mistakes uh, to an extent. Now, obviously, there are certain things that we you know, won't allow or, or we don't want them to do. But I want people to feel like they can fail because I feel like when they do fail and they learn from it, they are so much stronger for them and for us. And they realize that we're not going to be peering over their shoulder and every single thing and ridiculing them is going to be like, okay, what do you learn? They can tell us a good lesson and they can maybe teach their backup or other people what they did and, and take that chance. And we're more successful for it in the long run. So yeah, I think it's the, uh, it's the fail better uh, idea, right? It's okay oh. to fail just next time fail better or different. 
I think one of the hard challenges for us is I knew everybody coming to the store. Remember, this was the store I trained at. So I think the expectation of the employees and the expectation for us, it kind of it, it kind of clashed. You know, I'm thinking they're going to 100 percent support me. They all knew me. And, and it was some challenges. You know, some people, they weren't living up to our standards. Maybe we weren't living up to their standards. But it was a challenge. And that's the one thing I tell new owners. I say, get your crew in there as soon as you can. If the ones that are going to stay with you and support you. Some of our best employees, like I said, they've been there for a long time. And I remember the the previous owners that trained us. I remember remember talking to them about like what happened when you guys took over. And of course, they lost pretty much all their staff. But it was amazing the people that stepped up for him. And the guy who's our grocery manager now, he was one of those guys under the two owners ago. He was just a regular worker. And they put a lot of trust in him and they promoted him. And since they left, his son, his son has been killing it for me. So you find those winners out of the group, the ones that do stay and support you. They're, they're like some of our best employees. And I'm thankful for those, the ones that did make it two years later. And we still have them with us. Yeah. I mean, uh, turnover obviously sucks, but it does, it does create opportunities within the store for people to move around. They're not getting stale in what they're doing. It, you know, it creates uh, opportunities for you to view people in another light and you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's definitely the, the good with the bad on that one for sure. <laughs> uh, so, uh, sorry, Dylan's holding up signs to me. <laughs> five minutes, everybody, five minutes. <laughs> uh, so what, what kind of, what type of people do you think make the best operators? You know, we kind of talked about, you know, coming into grocery outlet and, and, you know, that you guys talk to a lot of people and they have their perceptions of things and so on and so forth. But what, what do you think is the trait or traits that you see in people that help them to really succeed? Tall operators like us, <laughs> my wife, six feet, I'm six, four, you know, the top, no, I'm just being funny. Um, I, honestly, it, it, I see, uh, um, I see a lot of different personalities with grocery outlets, so I can't necessarily say it's one type of personality. Although I feel like most of us are kind of similar. We're, we're all kind of personable. I find the ones that have the most trouble, a lot of times introverts, because they're not willing to accept outside help. And so you got to have an outgoing personality. And I really do believe in the model. You got to be humble, hungry, and smart. When they mention us, mention that through the interview process, I was like, why do they keep saying that? But it makes sense now. You got to be humble because guess what? You got some 16-year-old training you when you're in AOT. So you got to be able to, my whole career, I'm like, I wouldn't even have hired this guy. Now this guy's training me. And so that's where the humbling comes in. Um, you got to be hungry because you, you need money. You, you got to make more money. You're trying to support your family. This is a lifestyle. We gave up, a lot of us gave up good paying jobs to come do this. So you got to make money and just being smart. So I think th th those people that have those qualities, I think they make the best operators. Um, I 100% believe in community. I love the operator community. The um, operator meeting was like a high school reunion. I love that getting back together. And it was so many new people there. They needed to see that because what would y'all say? Like 40% of the people first time operator meeting? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, do they know the culture? I don't want to lose this culture. This is why I left my job is for the culture. And so to me, I think the best operators are the ones that understand it's okay not to know everything, but smart enough to find the answers to get where you need to go. Yeah, and I think you know we'll definitely have to do a podcast on um, culture uh, because it is such a such an important part, and especially as grocery outlet continues to grow and expand and change, 
yeah, how do you how do you maintain that that culture going forward? But yeah, it's I mean, I think it's hugely important uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, grocery outlet university is coming back next week. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've been advocating for that for the longest. Some of my closest relationships are with people who I did grocery outlet university with. You know, we're four, well, it's five years into it now, four years as operator, but it's, it feels good to see everybody we went to grocery, out, grocery, out, grocery outlet university being successful now. Only one couple's not on their second store, and that's because they don't want a second store. They got the store they wanted in the first shot, but all, nice. seeing everybody being it's successful rare. and doing better, and that's like, it was good. It was good to see these people and we were growing together. So that's a big part of culture and I'm glad it's back. Well, on that note, uh, it's been a pleasure, uh, talking with the two of you and, uh, it's, uh, been, uh, great getting to know you and all that kind of stuff. So thanks you for doing the, uh, the podcast with us. And, uh, I'm sure we're going to get lots of people who are hungry to hear what you have to say about all kinds <laughs> of topics. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, look forward to talking to you another time and uh, have a good one. All right. Well, I want to thank Charles and Raj again for being on the call. Uh, a lot of fun talking with them, uh, both on and off the call. Uh, one thing that you guys probably didn't hear because we hung up is that they are leaving right now to go help Kara over at Pleasant Hill. Uh, she lost some power uh, and now they just got it back on. So they're going to go over there and help. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about culture with this company. Um, there are so many examples everyone can use and talk about as far as how we help other operators. And this is one example that they didn't bring up on the call. So, uh, cause they're not, uh, selfish, uh, but I will do it for them. Just a, a cool thing they're doing to help out. And you hear about this day in, day out, uh, where just people are there to help other people. Um, you know, really cool. And just again, fun group to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were a, they were a real kick in the pants, as uh, Dylan's grandmother would say. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so yeah, Dylan, that was a uh, that was enjoyable. Uh, who do we got coming up on on the next podcast? So we have Sage from downtown Spokane will be on that next call, um, talking a little bit. Actually, I don't know what she's going to talk about yet, uh, but I guess it'll be a surprise for us all. Yeah, uh, well, just to give you a little a little tidbit, and this will probably change between now and then, but I think uh, she really wants to talk about uh, operating a store in a uh, tougher area, a downtown location, um, and then also operating uh, a store with multiple other grocery outlets in the vicinity as well. So that's a that's a possibility but just like this last podcast when we said we were going to talk about the differences of california and oregon and that never materialized this might not also we'll see where it takes us shocker uh real quick i want to touch up on two quotes i wrote down from uh from the call uh just i mean they, they struck me hard uh this isn't a job this is a lifestyle i can only imagine that when operators hear that it resonates saying I know exactly what you mean because it really is uh, so much more than just a job. It, it, it consumes a lot of you in a good way. Uh, and then the other quote I really liked was uh, fail better. And that was your quote. And I don't want to give you any credit for anything positive, <laughs> None or taken. Whatever, but, 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 but here it is, you know, fail better, you know, as far as just, 
uh, learning from failures and not being uh, struck down by them uh, is so key. Um, so yeah, just I like I like those both. So yeah, you know, there's one more by the way that I want to uh, that I want to throw in that I was it was top of mind when <laughs> when we were talking about perfection and and standards and all that kind of stuff and uh is that uh, it's a i think it's a mark cuban quote or at least that's where i heard it because but uh said uh perfection is the enemy of profitability and that's always stuck with me too to an extent of you know we want to be the best that we can be and we want our stores to look great and you know and be perfect all the time but uh as you as you well know there's the law of diminishing returns and the amount of effort that you have to put in to get it from 90 to 95 is far more effort than it took to get it from, you know, 50% to 80%. And to get it from 95 to 98, it's even more effort. That's even harder. And, and, uh, and uh, I try and keep in mind that we want everything to be good. We want it to look great and all those types of things. But I don't want to travel so far down the perfection road that I'm losing sight of my profitability through labor or through all kinds of stuff. Not to mention your own stress levels as well. I mean, it's good to have high standards and you need to have them, but also if you are frustrated every time everything isn't perfect, uh, you're going to be very unhappy. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. Also another idea, uh, one podcast, nothing but quotes. Oh, there you go. One, just one hour of just quotes. We can only speak in quotes back and forth. And, and the quote cast. We'll just w- try okay. and one up each other. <laughs> Isn't that what we do uh, already? Now? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, this was a this was a fun podcast, and uh, I look forward to talking to to Sage. And uh, gosh, it's not Sage and Jack though, huh? Well, I don't know. I think I heard that Jack doesn't want to be on the call because uh, he doesn't like his voice on their microphone or he's worried we're going to make fun of him, um, which might happen. But I yeah. don't think that's a reason not to be on the call. So I don't know if anyone. Well, is- maybe 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 the operator community needs to bombard him with like positive affirmations that, you know, he's good enough. He's smart enough. And gosh darn it. People like him. <laughs> uh, that is assuming that people made it this far into the podcast, right? Oh, that's, so, that's I mean, true. I mean, that's, that's dedication right there to make it. What are we, an hour in or something? Yeah. Um, but uh, that would be kind of funny. Just he just gets all these random messages, and he's just like, "Why? What? What is going Why? on here?" So, well, we are an hour, hour or so in. So, I guess now's a good time to to wrap this thing up. Uh, Sounds so good. Once again, as always, it was a pleasure chatting with you, Dylan. You as well, sir. We will talk in uh, a week or two, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening.